What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we discuss all culturally relevant soccer topics, lifestyle, fashion, music, politics, everything happening off the pitch, none of the stuff happening on it. My name is Alan, and I'm here joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Louis and Brendan. And this week, our episode was a little bit different than the conventional Culture FC episode, where we actually dove deeper into the three main topics of the week. Um, the first one being... La Liga announcing that they're going to be playing games here in the U.S., which is, um, in our minds, a pretty big announcement. We kind of dove deep into what that meant for soccer culture here in the U.S., um, what it meant for global soccer, and how that could potentially impact how the game is played um, for the remainder of time. The second topic we covered was Austin um, finally accepting a proposed plan for Columbus Crew Stadium um, in the city of Austin. We dove deep into kind of what that meant for a whole host of people, the people of Austin, the city of Austin, um, the people of Columbus, the Columbus crew as a club, and got deep into what that meant for for culture there and if we think that's a good idea and, and potentially some solutions to fix this whole mess that's happening with the Columbus crew. The third and final news topic we covered was Arsenal Fan TV and how they were um, potentially forced into changing their branding names from Arsenal Fan TV to AFTV. We um, kind of dive deep into that and what that means for Arsenal Fan TV um, going forward. And finally, the kind of main topic that we discussed today was jersey numbers, what they mean to the sport of soccer, how it's how jersey numbers are different for the sport of soccer comparatively to um, traditional numbering uh, for American sports. Scheme today was a little bit different than general episodes, but we really enjoyed getting into it, and that's about it. As always, if you like the episode, please drop us that five-star review on your favorite podcast app. If you're watching us versus listening to us on YouTube, please leave us that thumbs up, subscribe to us, let us know that you love us, um, leaving the five-star review on your podcast app really helps us um, rank and helps us kind of grow as, as a, a, a network. So we'd really appreciate that. You can also find us on Instagram at culturef.c. A lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff, videos, quotes. We just like to have fun with that account. So please go follow us there. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please leave us a message comment on the videos if you're listening if you're watching to us on the videos send us an email dm us however it is that you can find us find us reach out to us we love hearing your feedback we love getting more um, information from soccer culture out there so please do not hesitate to do that and that is about it for me today um sit back relax and uh let's get right into the episode guys welcome to the podcast to any new listener this is the segment at the beginning of the show where we cover um three culturally cult three culturally i have difficulty saying that culturally relevant soccer topics we kind of usually just touch upon them today is going to be a little bit different we're going to di- take a deeper dive into these topics because we think they're um super important super relevant to the soccer world soccer culture here in the u.s and globally so let's jump right in first topic today La Liga actually announced a 15-year partnership with um, a multimedia um, organization, Relevant, which actually sets up the ICC. 
um, the International Champions Cup. If you haven't listened to our podcast on that, a few podcasts, a few episodes ago, go back and listen to that so you can find out what that is. But sign a 15-year contract with them to actually have real, live La Liga games played here in the U.S. And this contract is going to bring um, all, not just Barca and Real Madrid, but it's going to bring kind of a whole mix of, of La Liga teams here into the U.S. to play games that actually matter to the La Liga season. Similar to what the NFL is doing now with England and bringing um, kind of w- one or two games over to England and, and having people in, in England enjoy NFL games, um, La Liga is going to be doing that here in the U.S. So at kind of a superficial level, wanted to get your ideas on this. Like, what was your first reaction to this? Do you think it's cool, not cool? Um, and then we can kind of dive deeper from there so i when uh, my initial reaction to this is skeptical at best um i don't know how i'm feeling about you know i understand the la liga is a super popular league in the world and they're this is basically just their play to become the most popular league in the world essentially because of how many people in the u.s follow and spend their money on soccer um but I will say on the on the internet, people are livid. There are people on Twitter calling this the end of soccer as we know it, and kind of a li- overreacting just a little bit, if yeah. you were to ask me. But um, some people view this as like the absolute worst thing that could have happened. And I, while I don't think it's to that extent, I also I'm like I said, I'm very skeptical about this because. While I think that the general public would love to see Real Madrid once a year or Barcelona once a year, the thing is you're, they're going to have to kind of like rotate teams, right? Like right, You can't keep be. making the same teams right. travel over here. And so my other question is if you're going to have a game in, let's say, whatever, in Chicago of like Ibar versus – What's another Spanish team? Betis, Real Betis. Well, Be- Betis is getting good this year, so let's change yeah, but it they to don't have a, f- a global fan base. I let's pretend Betis from three yeah. years ago when they weren't as good, right? Let's pretend, yeah. So let's say those two teams are going to play in like Chicago. Who's going to go watch? Yeah. Because yeah. okay, Barcelona can play whoever; it doesn't really yeah. matter, and people are going to go watch, of course. But at the same time, like when you get these two random teams to come over here, is anyone really going to go to the stadium to watch this? Yeah, unless no. it's marketed well. Yeah. We'll see. B, what are your what's your initial kind of thinking um, on it? The only thing I'm skeptical of is like it it's just the travel time of it all. I feel like it's just a not like the worst travel time, but like I feel like it would take a lot of uh training or not training, but a lot of like freaking uh sorry about that. Um what was I saying? A lot of travel. A lot of travel time and just, like, the preparation it would take to get to the games and yeah. everything like that. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't find <laughs> that a lot of the teams would enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, unless they want to come to the U.S., but yeah. what is it? Fi- how long is the tra- contract? 15 years? 15 years, yeah. 15 years of La Liga teams? Like, that's, like, a that's a pretty long time. Yeah. That's like w- That's it, a super it, commitment. And it's, like, at least one game a year yeah. per year for the next 15 years. Yeah. And so my question to you, based off of what you just said, do you think that teams are going to view this as an exhibition game because even though it's going to be part of the La Liga schedule in other words it's going to be one of the 38 games that each team has to play but the timing of this could be weird is it going to be at the end of the season is it going to be at the beginning of the season how is it going to match up with the MLS calendar and or FIBA calendar and also because if it's at the end of the La Liga season and these teams already kind of know their fate is this just a glorified 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 (laughs) friendly yeah. Right. Cause and that's and what to I'm jump on that, Louis, 
um, the actual the Spanish players union was actually super opposed to this happening. They did not want this to happen. They even were cited saying like players are being used as currency for these third parties to benefit because players aren't going to be benefiting at all. No. It's going to be La Liga and the relevant media group that are going to be benefiting. So players are totally against it. La Liga has been pretty vocal at saying they wanted to do this. So they've been um, it's been out there. But players, I mean, the players union there has been totally against it. So. So that's jumping on Louis' point of just like what at what point does this become something that's going to work? Because um, players are players are already not going to be behind it. If they're not behind it, are they going to actually be putting on an enjoyable game for people to watch? Yeah, I feel it's like a, a La Liga show and tell kind of. It's like, hey, United States, like yeah. these are players from yeah. our side of yeah. the woods. Like, come watch us play here, and then yeah. we're gonna just go back. But hey, it's not an exhibition game. Yeah. It really counts. It does count. Like though. that would I I don't know. I don't think the United States would really understand that it would be. And uh, like a real season game because all, all the games that we do see for the most yeah. part are all exhibition games or part of like tournaments that right. we don't really fully grasp. But I think that does come down to the marketing of it, right? Like if they market yeah. it well, then of course people are going to understand that it's a real game. Mm-hmm. But even if people understand it's a real game, I don't think the players are going to be on board. No. Yeah. Because like I said, it really depends on timing, right? Imagine you – because. At no point in the season do I think this even makes sense. If it's at the beginning of the La Liga season, in other words, so today is the 17th of August. The La Liga season actually starts, I think, tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Imagine if, uh, I think they said as early as this year they could get a game in the States. So let's let's pretend next year, if it's at the beginning of their season, it's still technically what we would consider like almost preseason. Like we just saw preseason games yeah, a yeah. week ago. So all of a sudden, they it's the be, it, let's say they use it as the kickoff of their season, which I would find very silly. The players aren't at full fitness yet. They're still going to treat it as a friendly. If it's at the middle of the season, that's just the biggest distraction you could possibly imagine. You have these players who have been doing this for three or four months. They are in the groove of things. They are literally finally hitting that stride as a player that people you always read about that yeah. they need to get into a groove. And you're gonna throw that completely out of whack. Yeah. Add an extra like week of travel on both ends of this of this game, just for you to break the the season apart. Yeah. To co- just for some extra cash and marketing. Yeah. Or if you do it at the end of the season, where the fate's already decided for each team whether or not you're gonna be relegated, or you're gonna be promoted, or yeah. you're gonna go to the Champions League spot, or whatever it is, y- it doesn't matter anymore. So, in my opinion, at no point during the La Liga season does this game make any sense to me. So I want to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here because um, I, I agree with some points, but I also kind of want to stir the pot a little bit. We always talk about soccer being the global game. This is now becoming a global <laughs> game, right? The, as much as the initial idea of it may not be that interesting, um, not only that, we actually a few episodes ago in the International Champions Cup, we're talking about how do we cultivate culture for the sport here, and one of the solutions was to bring games where things actually mattered. So I wanted to get your opinion <laughs> now, guys, um, with that in mind. If that changes your opinion at all, because this has been a proposed solution that we have put on the table to bring games here where things actually matter, to get um, points that matter, competition that matters, as opposed to these extra big games, does that change your idea on it? Because although, yes, it it is a bit of a a marketing play, but at the end of the day, there are points on the table that are going to have to be played for. And whether the games come at a bad times for the team doesn't really matter right because if they're playing for a champions league spot and they need to win that last game or they need to win that second to last game to get into that champions league spot or not be relegated is that not good for business 
Is that not good for the sport here in the U.S.? I don't like the fact that you just brought back whatever <laughs> you were saying the other day. I, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry for holding you accountable. Nah, because <laughs> my, pa- my past self is not my present self. <laughs> don't believe anything my past self has said. Wait, no, no. There are 40 episodes of <laughs> podcast of us talking. Please hold. Please pay attention to what we said. Um, I think that while, yes, that is 100% what we, we put out as a solution, in my mind, I thought it made more sense in, in terms of inter- like teams from different leagues playing each other. But I guess that doesn't change the <laughs> fact that we said it. You know? It doesn't change that that is a true, meaningful thing. Uh, but in my opinion, I think like the globalization of the game would be amazing if there was just a... In other words, to, to answer your question, the globalization of the game is super important. And I think it's great that people in the U.S. are going to be able to experience this. But my question is, wouldn't it have been a lot uh, a lot easier and maybe a little bit more less controversial, I guess, to just find a very good partner in the U.S. to to have La Liga games available to the mass public as You're a form of broadcasting wise? Like uh, what are you saying partner? Sorry, I don't. Uh, so basically we're talking about like how this is essentially the globalization of the game, right. correct? Mm-hmm. bringing the La Liga teams to play a game in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, wouldn't it have made more sense to an extent to globalize the game for La Liga to find a really good TV partner mm-hmm. okay. to yeah, yeah. have all of these games, like every game available on TV, yeah. as opposed to just this one game that because it's being played in the U.S. will be available to Americans? Um, because at the end of the day, I think like, if the end goal was to make La Liga the a more globalized worldwide league, I think there's better ways of going about it than having a game in the United States. Like, for example, sure, I know that there's someone – I don't know which company has the La Liga rights. I believe it's still BN. BN, yeah. Uh, BN is not widely available mm-hmm. in the United States, right? And so if you – maybe if La Liga had potentially come together with um, – not ESPN because they don't show sports ever. So I don't know, like Fox Soccer or someone big. They show a lot of NASCAR, dude. <laughs> don't say that. Uh, and also cornhole championship <laughs> the other day, and I was like, okay, ESPN. All right, sounds good. Um, but if they had just found a partner to have a bigger TV deal, wouldn't that have the same effect and not piss off everybody by bringing players over here? Um. But then again, at the same time, having the game in the United States is going to force people to give a crap, That's which I, I was, think is I the big point. I was going to interject a bit there, and it's, again, uh, something we always say is um, firsthand experience, right? We always say you want to experience match culture, match this and that, you go to the game, experience it firsthand. Um, we're bringing these European teams in here to experience what European football is, Um Yes, the TV deal, obviously, look at what it's done for the Premier League. Um, But, again, it's that thing of, like, if you don't feel it, you don't know it. Um, (laughs) Definitely true. (laughs) um, So, yeah, I I just think, yes, the initial kind of reaction to it, and it's what I think we should expect because from a logistical standpoint, it doesn't make sense. No other league in the world really does this. But to kind of it, it's not something that La Liga hasn't done I mean La Liga played their um, Spanish Super Cup this year like uh, like what was it yesterday two days ago they Cold played it ago. in Morocco so right. it wasn't even played in in Spain so they're really trying to they're, put their they're progressing and and 
if we're talking about the, the globalization of the sport, honestly, out of all of the things that make that are being introduced into the sport of soccer that kind of are making it this kind of uh, more of a money grab. This is one of my more favorite ones. Okay. Because yes, for the players, it doesn't really make sense. But as a fan, if honestly, if they ever played an El Clasico here, Madrid, Barcelona, imagine what that one game would have in, in, in terms of impact culturally in the United States, because that would be, say, they had that that Clasico in Miami. That one game would be like the the Real Madrid Manchester United exhibition game, where they filled out um, was it Michigan Stadium? They filled out Michigan Stadium with almost a hundred thousand people or over a hundred thousand people, um, but with actual points on the table. People would look into that and be like, "What the hell are these people doing going to this game?" Right. Yeah. And maybe that introduces new eyeballs onto the sport. So, but my thing is, I don't, do you think La Liga would ever have the Clasico here out of all the games? Because Honestly, if, if I were going to say that they wanted to introduce a game into the U.S., they should do that Maybe one. El Clasico, but I f- almost, I, I don't want to put money on it, but I would say that Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Atletico Madrid will be involved in one of the early matches to introduce this new contract into the U.S. Because the way I see it is if you're going to take <coughs> away the two biggest games that you have a year and put one of them outside of your country in a stadium that will not fit as many people as you can fit in Spain, you're going to have to hike those prices way up to make up for that difference, which I, we all know we'll, that that's going to happen. We'll pay. That won't be a problem. It will not be a problem, but it's also like... But will it be that far out of reach? They just played a cup match outside of Spain. Right. Yeah. No, and I think that, that La Liga, this is something that is it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to have to happen. But now I want to turn this on its head from... Let's not look at it from an American fan standpoint. If you're a Spanish citizen or someone who lives in Spain and you support the shit out of your yeah. team, how do you feel about this? Like, imagine you're, you know, I, I people give Real Madrid and Barcelona supporters a lot of flack because they're like very commercialized. It's more of like a, you know, they say that there's yeah. less atmosphere in those stadiums yeah. when it's like a regular game because there's just a lot of tourists or whatever. Same thing that happens at Manchester United yeah. and any other big club. Um, but let's say you're the most fervent, diehard Real Madrid. Like you bleed the colors of Real Madrid. That is your, your the thing you love the most, right? And all of a sudden, you've been waiting for El Clasico in Madrid, and they go, "Oh no, no, this year we're not having it here. We're gonna have it in Los Angeles." And you're like, "Yeah, the fuck? I don't live in Los Angeles. Yeah. I live in Spain. How am I the person? I'm a season ticket holder. I I go to the organized supporters groups. I do all this. Now I have to fly to Los Angeles." Yeah just to catch a game that has been a staple in my life yeah. every single year for the past whatever. Yeah. How does that person feel? Yeah. Oh, I'd be pissed, bro. That really ticked me off. But at the same time, if I was a diehard supporter, you know. Yeah. I, I've seen I've seen people like some of these away matches like are pretty far away, but I mean at the same time not not Los <laughs> Angeles not, far not, away. Not a nine hour <laughs> flight, another three hour car ride, things like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, yes. No, I agree that as a diehard fan and if, if I was looking forward to an El Clasico at home. I'm uh, Madrid. Uh, yes, that that would bother me if it's no longer being played there. But like, think of it; it would just be an away game, right, for both teams. Okay. Um, whereas, like, if you were going to play that, if you're Barcelona and you're going to play an away game at Madrid, now you're playing in in, in the U.S. Doesn't really matter. I mean, as just a fan, one game. It's just I one guess, game. Yeah. Probably, if if you weren't going to travel, you were going to watch it on TV either way. Um, where where it starts to impact is okay now the timing is different I might have to watch this game at 
really late, really early, whatever it may be. But that's 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 an inconvenience that I think can be overcome as long as it's not like game being played at 2, 2 a.m., right? Um, local time to, to Spain. Um, so, yes, I, although I, I, I think that local fans do get impacted. I mean, they they might lose out on that one important game, but at the end of the day for the away team, it's just another away game for the, in terms of fan perspective. Um, so I don't, I don't know that it would be that detrimental to me as a, as a diehard fan. I'm trying to think now if I had, if that were Manchester United's case, um, and they were playing some game randomly, I, I I'd feel bad for the players cause I don't want them to perform poorly if they are having to travel this long. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, if it fits in my schedule, I'm probably going to watch it, right? So I'm not going to be too, too down on that. Quick aside to the availability of La Liga games in the United States. As a United States fan, it's it's like be in sports, and that's pretty much it, right? Right. And yeah. be in sports isn't really widely it's, available. No, you have to get a special package. So my question is, with the Premier League being on NBC Sports, I think that having the La Liga games is a little bit more far-fetched than if we were to bring the Premier League into it, into the United States. So, so really, okay. I'm against La Liga doing what they're doing, but me, if past self, better. agree with <laughs> the fact that if we had more games from the Premier League that is more because they're already involved. Being broad- broadcast they're already broadcast in the United if States. Why not bring the broadcast to games already? In? I see. So what you're saying is, if La Liga had a TV deal yeah. similar to what the Premier League has, where it's more widely available, it yeah. wouldn't be as far fetched as it is now because of that gap. Yeah. Gotcha. Nail on head. So on that, I actually kind of agree with that. Actually, I think that if these games were being transmitted more, yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking of it just now. No, no, that, <laughs> no, no. I think that's a major point because. The only games that I think are like, actually, not even the Classicos have been widely available. They're all on BN. Like you can't, yeah, you can't watch it. Uh, Classico unless so, you're streaming. And that's the thing. Well, yeah. legally, Le- legally is what we're speaking. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that that would have been something to that would have been good to do before introducing this, because I mean they have 15 years now though. That's fair. That's true. But at the same time, it's but like still, yeah. Aside from the top three teams or top four teams. Actually, I'm going to take this to the common American supporter. Aside from Real Madrid and Barcelona, yeah. who does the common American know play in La Liga? You know what I mean? Like, we may know him because we're yeah. deep, deep into you I, know, soccer. I would say that I know, uh, know soccer a decent amount, and I could name, like, six teams in La Liga, right? Like, that were promoted, relegated. I have no idea who was promoted, relegated. Um, I, I know the, the top four teams, Sevilla, Valencia, Touch Madrid, Barca, Real Madrid, five. And then I... <laughs> I could name you the random ones that, like, I scroll through in FIFA. Real, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, whereas today, if you were to ask someone who likes soccer about the Premier League, they could probably name you all 20 teams right. that are in the Prem this year, you know? But I think that's, a to, to your point, is the availability of that. Um, on that point, this was something that took – this whole news topic actually took me by surprise because – what people have been talking about for the Prem and in the UK, because of how readily available it has been in the United States, they've actually been talking about the Prem doing what La Liga has announced that they are doing now. Yeah. Um, for about a couple of years, I've seen these things, a couple of suggestions floating on the internet, and a lot of journalists have been writing it as well, where if the Premier League got rid, or I'm sorry, if the FA got rid of, like, say, the Community Shield and kind of played a 39th game to the Premier League, 
um, if they could do it overseas, say in the U.S., it would actually make more sense than the yeah. ICC friendlies, right? Yeah. And so with La Liga kind of jumping the gun and beating them to that, do you think that the Prem now can never do that because La Liga is already doing it? Or would it just become this kind of weird thing where uh, I think, all of these I leagues think that come if and it, play? If, yeah, if it does become successful, it's one of those things like, all right, we're jumping in that market, right? Um, the U.S. is big enough to be able to host that many international teams. We've seen it already. So I don't think it'd be any problem. I think it would just it would it would make it easier for them to make the case to do it if they saw that La Liga was having success with it. Be like, hey, this league's making a shit ton of money off of this. So why don't we jump on this bandwagon? Easily, they, right. they'd get it. And they proposed something like that back in 2008. It wasn't even that drastic. They wanted to play a Premier League game in Wales, and it was shut down completely. Like it was, mm. a, it was something like, no, this is not going to happen. The FA chief had to come out and say, okay, we're going to take the step back and talk about this at a time when it makes more sense. Huh. It's, if that time is now, and if they want to explore now in the U.S., we're going to see because now with this deal, that's, I mean, that's a game changer. I think in terms of um, international globalization of a league. Um, so it'll be cool to see, but I think that if, if La Liga does succeed, it'll just make it that much easier for the FA chief or anyone on board with that type of change for the Premier League to make a case for themselves and say, hey, we got to do this. Because the way I see it now is that La Liga is forcing their way into this conversation in the United States, but at the same time, it's like that puts them a step above, right? Yeah. And so now the Prem has to kind of look at it and go, man, we had this market essentially cornered in the yeah. United States. We were the only major, major league yeah. that had widespread new uh, TV coverage and all of that. How do we yeah. one-up La Liga? Yeah. It might just be and a follow I think a situation. That it's Let's super suit. important for us to mention, too, that this is potentially a super historic moment in football, right? I think there's yeah. a lot of outrage right now, but this could potentially be – this is a completely different step than any type of change we've ever seen in the sport. Right. There's there's no this is this uh, we keep saying this word globalization, but this is the ultimate globalization of a sport is now when you're having a league that originated in a country played years and years and years in a country now expands outside of that country into other nations while that playing is a, league matches. If it works, becomes probably one of the most revolutionary um, steps in modern football. So. Good point. So does this, to kind of wrap it up, I think that's a major point, and it, it's super important because it also becomes a super almost diplomatic marketing kind of ploy because in the future now what's stopping a league, let's say like even on a smaller scale, like the Belgian first division, what if they decide, oh, you know what? We want to expand and get more fans. Let's go play a game in France. Right. You know, well, think about how that. Yeah, that changes. It the, can the, change the landscape. It opens the door for sure. But hopefully people don't take it to the extreme where all of a sudden your league starts <laughs> to lose its essence. Of right. Being its right. And that's what league. I'm saying. Like, make sure that if this is if this is successful, I think will be will be the biggest change that's ever happened in modern football. For sure. And I think that as long as they don't take it too far the other way, it could be amazing to watch yeah. um but to wrap up this news topic because i know we, we could probably go on about this for yeah a while, this is this could put it in its own yeah, segment, it been its own it's episode. um but last kind of bit do we think this is good for growing the sport in the united states because a lot of people would be like well the mls is already struggling to get viewers and well not necessarily struggling to get viewers because every single week it's been kind of growing but it's almost like the mls has been around for so long and they aren't that top level league quite yet is this going to impact the growth of domestic soccer in the united states and canada or is this going to like like hurt it you know 
What do we think? For me, it's exposure, 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 exposure. The more you're exposed to something, the more you're going to have an opinion on it and or um, like it or dislike it. Bringing in more soccer into the country, I don't think will hurt its image. I think we'll just it'll just bring more soccer. You'll see soccer every street corner, every billboard, every this, every that, every TV commercial that you see, every ad on YouTube. If that's bad, I don't know. But from a very basic um, view of it, I think that it would be good. You see soccer everywhere. Like, what, if, if I don't know soccer, I'm like, well, what the, what the hell, man? You know when you just see something way too many times, you're like, all right, I have to look into what this is. Like, what the, what the hell is this? I, from, a, from a very basic view, don't think that's bad. I think that that'll be good for growing soccer culture. And if Americans just don't eat it up, then it, the market just doesn't like it, whatever. But I think for in terms of bringing sport, bringing the um, sport of football here to the U.S., I, I think it's, it's a pretty decent ploy. You being a devil's advocate really, really has, <laughs> has bring, brung me full circle. You know, it, it's exposure. It's exposure and it's something, I mean, even just you thinking, saying those things like billboards everywhere, like I hadn't even thought of that at all. And it's, it's just like playing in my head. It's like, wow, that'd be actually, that'd be wicked cool to, to yeah. see this. Because for us in the United States, it's not really... Like it's a popular sport, but some like around the world, like it's it's front and center. Like yeah. wherever you go, like yeah. there's no baseball diamonds around. Yeah. There's soccer fields and this and that. And hopefully, we can start to see like a more globalized shift towards the United States becoming a more soccer centric place to be. But it also introduces different kind kinds of playing. Yeah, of soccer. Absolutely. Like you know, it's not that United States MLS style playing. It's yeah. like you get to see these yeah. powerhouse teams and some teams we may yeah. not even know absolutely no and to close out close out the topic then we're done i want to play back a scenario louis played for us in the icc um episode and it was um imagine we had a kind of festival for soccer um say these games become they're coming here we have a um an atletico madrid fan he doesn't have that many people that really follow sport but he's like hey guys come watch the sport with me brings a handful of friends they come and watch the game they, they get a little bit of grasp of this culture it's introducing the sport, whether whether fans like it or not. I think it'll it'll help in the long run for for culture here. And I, well, the reason I I brought up that last thing I said was like because we talk a lot about how like MLS has like that little brother mentality. Yeah. My whole thing was like, do we think this is going to continue to push that narrative of the MLS being this yeah. lower league, or is it going to help it overall? I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I think they're because the MLS won't be involved at all. It'll keep them separate. I think it'll just be good for the the growth of, of soccer culture here in the U.S. And I don't think that the MLS will actually be that negatively impacted because it would be comparing two things that here aren't being forced into the same landscape. The same way that it was in like the ICC right. or any time there's a friendly. Right. Yeah, I could see that actually. Like if a game were to be hosted at the Mercedes Benz in Atlanta. I could see like Atlanta United helping market the right. game, which would end up being like, okay, maybe you live in, 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 in Georgia and you don't really care for the MLS, but you're like, oh, sweet, let's go to the Benz, watch Barcelona play, I don't know, Ibar or Zaragoza or whatever. But they market it well. Maybe the following week after that, they're like, damn, that was really fun to go to a game at the Benz for soccer. What if I go to an Atlanta United game? I could kind of see yeah. it helping, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think. We'll have to see how it goes. We have 15 years to judge, yeah. so we'll kind of <laughs> keep sure. an eye on that one. Um, but moving along to 
that's topic number one. That was news <laughs> yeah. topic number one, friends. And if yeah. you're still with us, thank you. Yeah. Um, but news topic number two, it's actually two different uh, news items that are essentially connected. So we mentioned, I believe, last week of the week. Was it last week? About the Austin City Council voting on the Columbus Crew Stadium? Yeah. Or I'm sorry. So we mentioned last week how the Aust- the city of Austin, Texas, was voting on the proposed stadium uh kind of whether or not they were going to allow a stadium to be built in Austin for the purpose of soccer, right? Because uh, as many people know, the Columbus crew uh, team of the MLS are on the verge of being moved from Columbus to Austin, Texas, because their owner really doesn't want to keep them in Columbus. And people are kind of, some people are loving the fact that Columbus might be moving to to Austin because people feel like Austin needs to have a team. And some people are saying that Columbus is one of the original MLS teams. We can't move them. But basically, the city council voted and approved the stadium site for a potential future MLS team. But at the same time, news has come out that Mark Wahlberg, uh, famous Bostonian, from Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, um, he is interested in buying the Columbus crew as I guess he's been doing a lot of, uh, business in central Ohio. <laughs> Don't know why it's just a thing that's happening. You'd think that maybe Mark Wahlberg would want to do something in his hometown. No one knows, whatever. There's a chance he wants to buy the Columbus crew. So these are two very different topics, but they are very interconnected because there has been this giant divide amongst people for the past year about their feelings on Columbus. And we've kind of touched upon it in a couple episodes, but at face value, I kind of want to talk to you guys about what do we think about both of these things? <laughs> um, a, uh, Austin approving um, the plan is, is great for the city of Austin. If the club were to move there, um, I think Austin would be a, a great city for a sport, for a soccer team. Because they, they, sorry to interject, but they almost fit that model of like Portland. Like we talked about what made Portland so awesome was their like their anti like popular culture almost. They're very hipsterish. Austin, just in terms of Texas, it's completely different from anything else you'll see in Texas. Right. So people talk about how like have y'all been to Austin? No, but I've heard. Oh, I've I've Uh, heard. I've had family who's spent time there, and like my uh, my. It's very different from Texas. It's like a it's like a liberal playground. Oh, I thought it was just Texas. No, 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 dude, Austin is like Austin is crazy. It's like this. I want to say it's one of like this. It's one or two like top set um, tech cities in in the country. Like Facebook, Oracle, huge companies are all Mm, there. Like that's a that's a hub. It's like if you could remove, like Austin would fit in with California. Okay, with how they are. You know what I mean. But it's like, you know, South by Southwest is there every year. It's like massive. Like hmm. it's it's a it's that city that the MLS would fit perfectly yes. into, okay. in my opinion. Yes. Painted a good picture. Yeah. So yes, I think for the city of Austin that would be awesome. For Columbus and, and the fans there, and we've actually did a whole episode talking about that whole situation. I think it would be obviously detrimental. But um Personally, I don't like the way that the fans there are handling the situation by boycotting the Acting like twelve year olds. Uh, um that's one way to put it. Um, not going <laughs> no to the matches, fans. not supporting the fans just because they are um, boycotting the, the the manager, although it's it's not unheard of. It happens um, worldwide. I just personally don't think it's the best way to handle it. Um, I, I don't think it helps their case. For the city of Columbus, it's bad. Mark Wahlberg buying it. Super cool. I actually really love the idea of kind of celebrity figures 
uh, investing in the sport. I think that it's, again, another proposed solution. We should make a board uh, of ourselves that just proposes solutions to fixing um, soccer culture in the U.S. because I think we're rather decent at it. That's but we've talked idea. about we've talked about having um, influential figures, rappers showing up to Atlanta United games, how important that is for, for soccer and soccer culture. Having, again, another celebrity influential figure Investing and showing interest in a sport, I think, is really cool for the sport, um, a la Will Ferrell and um, LAFC. And one it, has to wonder: Did Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg uh, like talk during you know when they filmed, right? Because they're actually pretty close. It? Well, yeah. they filmed that movie that they actually filmed here in Framingham, the Daddy's yeah. uh, Daddy's Home. Daddy's, Daddy's home. home. They yeah. filmed that literally in yeah. in our hometown. Right. So maybe Mark has has some t- some type of um, insight on it. But yeah, I think that. It, from that perspective, it would be really cool to see another kind of celebrity figure involved in the sport. All right, so now learning about Austin, <laughs> I I I think Austin compared to Ohio. I mean, I've never been to. I've I have heard, been through I don't Ohio. Offend Ohio, but I've heard Ohio is the Florida of the Midwest. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I don't oh know. Just, no! Just, things, just rumors. I've been I've been stumbling upon. I went to a great <laughs> antique market. It was huge in Ohio. Just driving through, it, you know, didn't stop anywhere else. But um, I think having so how's it. How's the antique scene in Ohio? <laughs> it was the, well when I went. It was it was huge. It was like one of the bigger ones. It was advertised for a few miles on <laughs> on the on the I ninety. Nice. But um, got a couple things. It was Brendan is our resident antiquer as well. He's the master of all things. Hey, if anyone's still listening right now, I got those FA card, 1990-1991. Send me your information. I'll send you a pack for free. Yeah, but um, anyways. All right. Austin, approving it. I And where it is, I think, like you said, it's a perfect place for MLS to fit in. I think at this point, the fan base of Ohio right now is really digging themselves their own grave. Yeah. I, well, I not just Ohio. It's Columbus. Columbus. Let's be, let's be okay. honest. Because Cincinnati is uh, also joining the MLS in two years, and they have a fervent fan base. Okay, yeah. so yeah, even more so. If if you know that another team is going to be moving in, wouldn't you want to still, despite your dis, your disdain yeah. for your manager right now? Not like management. Ownership. Management, ownership, what have you. Um, we don't want to confuse people because manager could be the you know the head coach. That's true, um, but I think they would have a better chance of of saving whatever they want to save, like by, by showing up to the games and showing that there's a, a a fan base that wants it here. But at the at the end of the day, I mean, management is management, and if they see a better opportunity for for more money and to bring soccer where they believe it's going to have more chance of becoming more popular, I think. Yeah, he got to kind of side with that, but I I feel bad. I feel for the fans. You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not negating their their pain, yeah. but it's they not could. an easy situation. No. That we're like saying that uh, like we're not there. We have no idea, but um, it would be nice to see the fans there because I mean I think they have a super rich history of of, of fanmanship, um, if I could say that. And I I think that it would be better for their cause if they were there, like Brendan is saying, just showing support, showing that regardless of whether this guy wants to remove them from there or not they're going to be there backing their club but again it's it's the, on them to, to make that decision and by by no means am i the the, the deciding factor on that yeah and then on will ferrell i mean will ferrell <laughs> will ferrell i love the guy but marky mark dude uh again 
Like I think I think that's a fun idea. Yeah. I think you see a celebrity invest money into any sport at all, it's gonna pique some interest. I mean, even on among the 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 say they have fervent fans already yeah. as a celebrity. It's like, oh, this guy just yeah. wants to buy a, a soccer yeah. team. Well, I might as well look yeah. into this. Um, and he's a smart business owner. He already owns what is it? Wild Burger uh, with his brother yeah. and stuff. And he has a lot of different business investments. I think he owns a couple of dealerships too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he, I think that him. Diversifying his portfolio. Yeah, but also him playing a role in just ownership. I think that he he understands that position and he would understand kind of how to deal with the, the consumer in this case, which would be the fans. Um, it would be good. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we should do an episode on Columbus, A. And B, whether or not we think they should be removed or not, I don't want to really dive into that right now just because it would be a lot to talk about. But, you know, one thing I will say is that the owner of the crew originally said he, when he bought the crew in 2013 that he would not be removing, relocating them. That was like one of the biggest things that he promised all the supporters. And, of course, he's gone back on that, and we did touch upon this a little bit. Um, but, essentially, I would I think that, I, A, I do think Austin kind of would fit really well into the MLS landscape. Um, it would, you know, bring – a really fun atmosphere, I think, to the MLS. Um, it'd be really interesting to see how they do it. And But at the same time, if Mark Wahlberg is involved with the team, I think you guys are right. Having him as a as a, a influencer would really bring that attention back to the crew because um, it feels like they're missing some identity right now. Um, and we kind of make light of the situation of how the fans aren't really going. Like, yeah, the, I'm sure there are a big fervent group of f- supporters going every game in Columbus and trying to save the crew, especially because we talked about how they had the, the stadium uh, plans for Columbus drawn out the past two weeks, and there's been a big push to save the crew. Um, I think that if they can actually get something on paper where Mark Wahlberg is involved and showing interest and, and things of that nature, it could help. Um, but kind of one last question to you guys is the MLS is expanding. Right. And they've been talking about how they want to get to 28 slash 30 teams in the future. What's stopping them from just kind of like looking at the situation going, okay, we know there's people in Columbus who want this team here based on all the fans, based on celebrities kind of coming out and saying they want to they want to be a part of this team. And we see that there's some interest in Austin. What's stopping them from just kind of being like, you know what? If the owner of the crew wants to make a sale of of the crew. The crew can stay in Columbus, but we'll give him a franchise in Austin. Yeah. Like, what's stopping the MLS from doing that? Yeah. Uh, clearly, that's a very loaded question, and there's yeah. a lot of information that needs to go into that. But I don't understand why not. Like, why, yeah. if we are looking to get to 30 teams, and people in Austin want soccer, and people in Columbus want soccer, you both markets are showing that they want it. Yeah. Why not give them to both? Yeah. I, I, I Simple answer. I don't think there's anything stopping them. It's probably just... Um, finding someone that wants to buy it which maybe mark will buy it and then um whoever owns columbus now can take it over his name is anthony pre-court or something anthony pre-court can go take it to austin um yeah i mean again our our board of solutions seems to be working at full force today um but yeah i think that that's i mean that's a pretty genuine solution to what seems to be the issue obviously there's a lot more behind it (laughs) it's not making it seem like it is just a piece of cake to get this all done but yes from a very simplistic average guy type of solution i think that that works (laughs) yeah Uh, face value of that is it seems like it's an easy fix so what we're saying is that's the best solution that's the best solution and awesome (laughs) episode done on that no american soccer (laughs) (laughs) just make more teams culture fc solving american soccer problems one step at a time um Okay, I think that that wraps up that topic as well. Um, and we move on. number three.
We've talked about them before a little bit. Yep. Um, but Arsenal Fan TV recently forced to rebrand their name yeah. because Arsenal does not want to be associated with them due to the fact that they often criticize the club and almost bring a negative image for the club. So um, they haven't really, nothing official has really come out per se, but um, Arsenal Fan TV have recently changed their name to AFTV. AFTV. Um, just wanted to get your guys' perspective on it yeah. because it's something that we, I mean, we use social media to try to bring culturally relevant topics to yeah. soccer. They try to bring the culture of Arsenal fans yep. to the masses. Yeah. And it seems like they are relatively popular. But I remember what's his name came out. Uh, uh, Bellerin. Bellerin came Bellerin, out. Yeah. We talked about him yeah. coming out against them and saying just like. Yeah, saying that. Be calling them bullies, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, wouldn't you. I, I feel like them having such criticism for a club i mean there's free speech involved but at the same time like well not necessarily we're not in the united states no that's true um if this were to an extent though i will say if this were in the u.s this would not fly um i think that you know forcing someone to kind of change their name i guess we can get into legality of things of that nature but at the same time it's also like um if this were the u.s they could make the claim that you know under free speech law in the united states we could like you would be able to do this no problem um but it seems like Arsenal and Arsenal Fan TV kind of came to an agreement almost because there was no legal action taken, I don't believe, yet. Yeah. Is what the article, one of the articles I saw said. Um, essentially, they kind of asked them, like, hey, could you maybe not call yourselves Arsenal Fan TV? Like, maybe just call yourself something different. Um, but if it were me, I'd be a little pissed because, like, we talked, we, we said this before, a soccer club isn't just the ownership and the, and the people who play the game, it's also all of the fans. So, when you have all of these Arsenal fans who who take ownership of this club, you know, inherently where they're like, this is my club, I love Arsenal, Arsenal is for me, then for them having to change the name of their channel, which is all they're doing is living life as Arsenal fans and kind of talking about it on a channel, it would actually, if it were me, I'd be upset, like super upset. I'd be like, this is my way of life, this is my club, why can't I be called this when this is like what it is for me in my life, you know? that's my stance i'd be pissed yeah i i think i'd be pretty upset as well i think that um i understand where arsenal's trying to cut where, where they're coming from because there is so much negative connotation behind arsenal fan tv um we've we again it, we've discussed this lightly but arsenal fan tv is popular be, not because of positive fan reaction they are popular because of negative fan reaction and kind of outlandish statements outlandish comments that actually end up hurting arsenal's image as a whole mm-hmm. so i totally understand from arsenal's perspective the, from the club's perspective why they wouldn't want to be associated with this at all because i mean arsenal fan tv makes it seems like Yes, they may be run by fans, but at a very superficial level, someone that may not be super um, involved with Arsenal Fan TV may think that this is an association that Arsenal promotes yeah. and or is heavily involved in, with, which which that is 100% not the case. So I understand from Arsenal's perspective why they would not want that to be what it is because we only ever see or hear Arsenal Fan TV when it is a bad loss to... to um, 
a low league team, a Brighton, a, a something that, and we get these kind of really crazy, really passionate, really fervent um, fan reactions, which end up most of the time lambasting the club, lambasting the players, criticizing what would be Arsenal football club. So I totally get it from their perspective. But yes, from a fan, if that's if that's how I feel and that's what it is, and that in Arsenal fan TV happens to be the canvas where I express this, I'd be pretty pissed if all of a sudden now um, the club is kind of kicking me out of that situation. I will say, I mean, all things considered, they didn't make them change their name to like weloveponies.com. Yeah. They changed it to right. AFTV, which, you know, no one's going to confuse that for being associated with Arsenal, I mm-hmm. guess. But who, those of you in the know may look at him like, ah, it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, so one one aspect of this I didn't understand was they are the number one fan channel on YouTube with yep. over 820 subscribers, 820,000 subscribers. Yeah. Yeah. So they're almost at a million subscribers, which yep. is insane in itself. For a fan, for for a a fan, fan channel. For a fan channel, despite negative, whatever, the, how, however they get their, yeah. their content is one way, but... Having 820,000 yeah. subscribers and being forced to change your name yeah. is... Yeah, I do think that causes a bigger rift between club and this channel. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's and only going to be more... I feel like they'll get more subscribers from it. Right. This channel becomes... Well, this channel serves a purpose for a lot of people, whether it's the people that go on it and speak their mind, or it's people that go on it to kind of just have their um, opinions confirmed about the club. So does this create more of a rift? Arsenal Fan TV has been behind a kind of... A lot of their figures have been behind um, anti-Arsene Wenger's protests. A lot of things that happen surrounding Arsenal kind of ha- have some way of touching Arsenal fan TV or AFTV now. Um, so I don't think that the relationship there is good. Does I, I would think that this doesn't make it any better. No, definitely not. But, you know, it's I think it's just a, a matter of coexisting now. Yeah. Um, I think that Arsenal look at it now at this point. I think the reason this even came about was that Arsenal probably looked at this channel and were like, man, we got we got to do something. Yeah. They are yeah. too popular for us to just kind of keep letting pretend like they don't exist. Clearly, it's become a big enough issue where they had to go out and be like, hey, guys, can you not call yourselves Arsenal fan TV? And they're like, OK, because we want to coexist with you. We'll rebrand to AFTV. Like I said, there was no, and there's nothing legal that came out of this. It was just kind of more of like a uh, internal discussion amongst both parties, and they kind of came to an agreement. I'm assuming. Um, so yeah, I think that I wouldn't be happy necessarily, but at the same time, it's not a major shift. Then you know, it, it could have been a lot worse. They yeah. could have been like, they didn't send them a cease and desist letter. They was just kind of like, please just change your name a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Listeners, uh, viewers, let us know what you think. Do you think the that this is just, you know, overblown or is it something that would really irk you as an Arsenal fan yeah. to hear? We'd love to hear your feedback. Absolutely. I, as a fan, can't really, uh, I can understand that. As a fan of soccer in general. As a fan of soccer in general, I can understand when your team isn't doing very well for however many years you can, you can be upset. But at the same time, when... There are people coming out and saying how embarrassing this channel is for like a fan base to yep. be called. I would I would have like an internal battle of myself with myself just because it's just like God I hate how we're doing, but like there are some of the players are watching this and like they're really like hating on it. Like yeah, like I think I, I feel like I should just be a little bit more positive yeah. for them because yeah. it, it that's a big argument that happens in the, like in today's world. Social media is is insane the way. Some players are attacked, like Carius after after the Liverpool Champions yeah. League final, like yeah. death threats, this that, right, and then right. it's just it's a whole can of worms that 
don't people the fans don't understand that can affect these idolized yep. these players. Right. So. No, absolutely. I think that that's a hundred percent on point with what the, the the general struggle is between those two. Um, but it's something that's so nuanced, and again, one of those things where you can't just kind of put a blanket statement over what what a fix is or what the actual situation is. But because it's still relatively new, it's yeah. still this whole social yeah, media thing. Is so it's right. still kind of new to Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. But okay, that's the end of it. Three main topics, and and to any new listener, obviously, um, this is not generally how long these main topics are. But we just felt that today, especially um, considering our our actual main topic would be um potentially a little bit shorter we wanted to kind of dive a little deeper into this um into these kind of relevant news topics for this week and um, give a little more insight on that but moving on to the main topic we're going to be covering jersey numbers and kind of their relevance to the um sport uh of soccer both kind of on the on the the field and, and culturally, more importantly, culturally. So we, why this came about in my head, uh, it's very selfish and a little whatever, but <laughs> as a Manchester United fan, uh, Marcus Rashford was just given the number 10 jersey for the number 10 squad number, jersey number, whatever you want to call it, for Manchester United. And it got me thinking of like, what is the importance of a squad number to a player's what is the importance overall of squad numbers, right? Because for the longest time in the existence of soccer, there were no numbers. Yeah. It was just you had the colors of your shirt. You had 11 dudes. They played on each side and for a total of 22 people. There was no real numbers. And it ended up becoming a headache for people who commentated on games of knowing who was doing what. So then they introduced uh, numbers, but those numbers didn't stay with players. It used to be that like every game, it was one through eleven, and it was always one through eleven, and it would just kind of the players would change, but the shirts would kind of stay the same. Yep. Um, but in today's modern game, every player is assigned a squad number. Their name is on the back of every jersey, and it's become this this massive achievement for you to have a number between the numbers of one and eleven. Yeah. Um, so much so that. All over the world, when Marcus Rashford got the number 10 jersey for Manchester United, people were like, it became such massive news, despite the fact that if you look at it on paper, it's such a very, it's such a simple thing. It's like, yeah. okay, so he changed his number from 19 to 10. Great. That's, a lot of people would just look at it as like, whatever. But squad numbers in soccer are sacred. Um, it's one of those things that like, we, we were talking about it in, in the MLS show that we do every week, Shameless Plug. We have an MLS show that comes out every Monday. We recap the uh, happenings of the MLS every Monday. So check that out on YouTube. But anyway, we talked about it last week how uh, certain players have numbers that are like 99 or whatever yeah. it is, and we hate that, right? Yeah. Um, but that's because it's like a sacred thing for you. to You want to have a squad number between 1 and 11 because those are the most popular numbers. Those are the ones that have been known throughout history, I guess, is the more yeah. soccer yeah. numbers. And I kind of just wanted to like ask you guys a question. like, Should it matter so much that a player wears number seven or number 29? Like, Does it really make a difference? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm one of those guys where it's it's like a religious thing almost, hmm. um, the numbers and what they, they signify. I mean, back in the day, going back a little bit in history, like you were right, these numbers, you, players actually fought for them because – that meant that they were in the starting squad. Like if I got a number one through eleven, I'm on I'm on the field. I'm getting to play. And and this is in a time when there were no substitutions. So getting that eleven man, one of those eleven numbers meant, hey, I'm I'm selected to play. I'm going to be playing. I'm 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 out there on the pitch. So 
over the years, obviously that's transitioned just with the way that the sport works. But what it, it's still it's funny because it still holds so much of that meaning, right? Um, the number one, which is generally the the keeper, the, the way that the numbering worked was one being the keeper, defensive line gets then the, the next series of numbers, midfielders, forwards, etc. But these numbers have come to mean things where it's it's super weird to see a goalie wear a number other than one, right? So I personally think that y- y- no, because it's just a number, but yes, because this number does end up, it has a meaning in the sport. It's not like any other sport where um, kind of numbers are solidified by maybe a great player that played in it. I'm thinking like basketball and the number 23, for the sport of soccer, it has a deeper meaning than just necessarily the play, just one single player. It actually has a meaning on your role in the squad. Quick goalie number for you. 1974 and 1978 World Cups, Netherlands, the goalie had number eight because they did alphabetical and number distribution. That, that would hurt me to look at. And that's um, why they didn't win the World Cup. <laughs> but me as... Um, less of a, of a religious guy in terms of numbering. I think a number is a fucking number and you yeah. can wear whatever one assigns you and be lucky if you start, well, unlucky <laughs> if you don't. And yeah. um, Although I will say that the important numbers that come to mind are yeah. probably cool for every kid who grows up playing maybe in, in the more competitive soccer universe and maybe even... Yeah. Like as as Rashford just got that number ten, like that's to him. I'm sure it means a lot. Yeah. But for me, I don't care what number I get. Yeah. As long as I'm out on that field, doesn't right. matter. Yeah. No, and I I like your perspective, Brendan, because for between Louis and I, it's a very kind of not Americanized perspective on sports. So I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I'm here for you guys. Uh, yeah. It it gives us that, and that's something that I wanted to talk about. Is here is just like general American culture when you're talking in terms of sports. Um, and a sports numbering, it's really just, again, that player basis, like one player can make a number cool for, for um, a certain generation, but it doesn't hold that same other than I think Michael Jordan. There might be a couple other players in other sports there that holds that relevance throughout multiple generations for a number, um, which is super different than the sport of soccer um, and how we see numbers. Well, because the numbers in soccer, like you, you said, they're it's a it's a symbol of status yeah it's not just like here you go here's your number it's a symbol of status because if you this is funny because another manchester united relevant topic here um anthony martial when he came to manchester united wore number nine yeah right ibrahim zlatan ibrahimovic signs for manchester united the club looked at him and were like hey i know we just gave you number nine and this was you know what your whole team was basing your entire marketing on but what if we didn't give you number nine yeah. and we gave Ibrahimovic number nine and you can have number 11? Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, he was upset about it. His team was upset about it because they had planned their whole marketing around the fact that Anthony Martial yeah. was now number nine. Like all his social media had it, everything like that. And on top of it, it was just a symbol, a status, a status symbol where like it's either a young and promising guy or your best player. Um, and I think that from a marketing standpoint, it's a it's a huge thing because in the world of soccer, if you if you have the number seven or if you have number ten, these are numbers that like it shows you are one of the best players on the team. We can market you that way, even if it's just a number yeah. based on like, you know, think about it this way. If uh, at Manchester United, anybody who wears the number seven jersey, there is this immense pressure on anybody at Manchester United who wears number seven. Likewise, the next person to wear number ten for Barcelona after Messi 
imagine that guy's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like his mentality of it is going to be like, wow, I yeah. have to somehow wear the same jersey that one of the best players yeah. or the best player in this club's history has ever worn. I, two of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to have to wear number 10 after Ronaldinho right. and Messi have worn it for, for Barcelona. Like that, you could tell me it's just a number. But now imagine you, right? You played in Barcelona. And Brendan, I'm pointing to him. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, imagine you playing at Barcelona and they're like, hey, man, Messi just retired. And prior to that, Ronaldinho used to wear number 10 and he retired. Um, here's the number 10 jersey. Good luck. Yeah. Like that's kind of one of those things that you really kind of have to wrap your head around um, because it's I like I wish it were just a number. But with every generation, these players add another level yeah. on top of that number. Right. And I mentioned that you had, you know, George Best is worn number seven, uh, David Beckham, Cristiano Ronaldo, like Eric Cantona, players that like have like massive, massive history with the club. It just adds so much weight to that number that it's like, okay, it's just a silly squad number, but it could be the make or break for a, a player's marketing campaign. It could be their status symbol across the world. But it, it's it's just very funny how that that exists in the mind of yeah. a consumer. Well, that just separates the men's from the boys. Boys, <laughs> oh, a lot of the times, yeah. Um, and it's funny how the kind of no, the culture behind numbers has evolved in different um, parts of the world and seeing how um, the number 10 universally is pretty much means like you're the playmaker, you're the guy, you're you're the guy on a club. Well, obviously, there are um, kind of situations where that, that isn't the case. But mo in most cases, number 10, everyone in the world understands that you're the guy. Everything goes through you. Um, uh, another number, number nine, I think, is the one that you know that that guy is the striker, the goal scorer. He is the guy that's going to be providing goals for the team. But I kind of wanted to just quickly go through just a kind of conventional, more universal numbering system and how it works in terms of where positioning. So I'm going to read it down from um, goalkeeper up to striker. So one being goalkeeper, um, two being right back, three being the left back, um, four or five being center backs. Um, six and eight being kind of the midfielder options there. Um, seven being the left wing. Um, Wait, right wing. Seven being the right wing. Yes, sorry. Um, eight already mentioned. Ten being the kind of midfielder, um, but more attacking midfielder than both um, eight and six. Um, nine being the striker. And did I miss a number there? Eleven. Eleven being the opposite wing, um, left wing there. So that's kind of a more conventional numbering system and how their positions work out on a field. Um, but it by no means is that the same because we think of like Brazil, those numbers switch off a little bit. Right. So that, that list that Alan just read there, that's the more conventional approach that existed in England for yeah. the majority of, of and, and this is kind of what most people in the yeah. world kind of associate with numbering. Um, just because, like I said, the the Prem is probably the most watched yeah. league in the world yeah. at this point, I believe, overall. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like that's kind of how it was brought up there. Um, and so that kind of still holds true for the most part, especially with English media always kind of referencing those those uh, those numbers as a way to help their narratives. Yeah. Um, but like you said, completely different in other parts of the country. In South America, for example the number six is the left back yeah, and the number three is a center back. Yeah. And so those are the kind of things that like, there's these n little nuances in, in culture that is just very, very interesting because, you know, in that lineup is usually a four, four, two, which is the most traditional English lineup that you could probably think of. Um, but 
in South America where the game's a little bit more fluid, they don't usually play in a 4-4-2. Yep. It sometimes resembles something along the lines of like a 4-2-2-2-2 yep. um, or something along the lines of like 4-3-3. Um, but it's funny how things just kind of grew naturally to where in, in Brazil, if you're left back, you're probably wanting to achieve the number six after like Roberto Carlos and a yep. lot of other uh, great left backs in the past. But you want to be the number six. But yeah. in England or in other parts of the world, you might be like, oh, I want to be the number three because yeah. that's what a traditional left back wears. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of conversations kind of revolve around that. Like me, when I was growing up learning about soccer, my dad spoke of positions in terms of these numbers, whereas my my perception of these numbers were based on a different formation. So I my conversations with him were always funny where he was like, oh, like what position does this guy play? Like if he didn't know someone from a European league, I'd be like, oh, he plays a uh, center midfield, like number, um, uh, whatever, say I say a number. And he was like, well, that, that's not, that, that's not center midfield, son. What are you, do you understand this sport? And I was like, yeah, this is how it is. And so it's funny how these different numbers have different connotations in different cultures, whereas that just, it just adds another level of int like intricacy to understanding the sport that is often overlooked here in the U.S. because again that culture does isn't existed. But I think it's a super cool like little nuance that that is so niche to the sport um, and it's unlike anything else. Because like you could look at me and and be like Louis like, or if I looked at you and was like, hey man, he's a phenomenal number eight. Alan might understand completely what I'm saying. Brendan, I'm shit out of luck, bro. <laughs> it's like he's number saying. eight. I'm like, wow, that dude, yeah. he must really make that eight look good. <laughs> yeah. So, so number eight is traditionally a player who can link up uh, defense and attack yeah. as a very box to box. box to box midfield type of player. Um, whereas, and it's very funny to your point is like it, it goes back to that number six thing, right? Like if you're speaking to someone who knows English football and you were like, he's a really really good number six. In yeah. other words, a potential very good holding midfielder. Yeah. To a Brazilian or to a South American, they're like, oh, why? Why is a left back playing in center mid? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting how that comes about, that in different cultures, and especially it's funny that you and your father had this thing where it's like you might be talking about like a number six, yeah. and it's like, wait, but that's left back in yeah. my understanding. Yeah. Son, you want to play defense? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it's, it's just a really cool way of speaking about the sport that like is very different than anything I've ever seen. If you were to compare – if you were to look at it and be like – yeah, man, that Kobe Bryant, phenomenal number eight. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, what, is that what does mean? that mean to anything? Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. just like, at some point, I think basketball just transcended it. Because I'm sure at one point it was one through five in, yeah. in, in basketball because it was just easier that way. But yeah. then they were like, you know what? We'll just add more yeah. like numbers and it just stopped mattering. But like, if you were to look at me and say, man, that's a he's a he is a classic number nine. Yeah. That's one of those phrases that means so much. But if you were to translate, if you were to like dissect that sentence, a normal person who doesn't necessarily understand soccer would be like, great, he's yeah. a number nine. What does that mean? Yeah. But to pretty much anyone in the world, if you said he is your traditional classic number nine, it means they're a traditional classic center forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are just very interesting nuances that don't necessarily exist in other sports like you were saying. Yes, absolutely. It still boggles my mind though. I just, it, it's hearing the formations and where they should be. I mean, yeah, I do have some knowledge of it. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not like I'm completely in the dark. I don't know anything past maybe, like you said, the modern UK yeah. version of it, just because I see those numbers. And like, after you, you say it, I mean, it has more of a connection to me, but um, the different numbers that come with different leagues and different countries and just the more nuanced things, 
I wish I had learned that. Yeah. To some extent, instead of like, hey, you're going to be playing right back. Just like if you had more of a numbered system about doing things, you, I think it would be able to make a better connection with the, the kids you're trying to teach. Yeah. It well, would, especially if it makes a connection with the culture and how it is in the rest of the world. Yeah. Right. Because it's something that I've never heard referenced by any one of my coaches here in the U.S., no. which is like whatever. But in terms of just like those little nuanced things about the culture and how it differs here versus other countries, um, that's one that that is overlooked, but I think is, is slightly important. Yeah. Like instead of saying like, oh, you're going to be playing like center mid yeah. instead of, hey, you're going to play the eight today. So like yeah. we need you box to box. Yeah. We need you to be able to create. Right. We need you to be able to hold. Right. And then I think that would make a better yeah, connection. Yeah. Just be like, hey, go play center midfield. Yeah. You're going to be right center. Yeah. He's going to be left center. And it's even just, if the person is a number eight, whole, having that, that kind of connection to you're going to play the number eight means something. As opposed to... Yeah. Yeah, right, because all of this, we have to remember, comes from tradition. It comes from the general understanding of the game. And I think that that's how a lot of things are. You have to grasp the basics of anything yeah. in life before you can start to change it. So that's kind of where I believe this numbering and this re reliance on the numbering kind of comes from. There was a way that soccer was played for many, many years that people got very used to, where which is why we reference these numbers in the way we do because once you have a baseline understanding of, of how that traditional formation works it allows you to have that more in-depth conversation like you're saying about positioning about how to uh, work it and I think that it just allows you to understand the game a little bit more than if you were just kind of think okay there's 11 dudes in the field put them out there and however you want because there has been a traditional way that teams have lined up for a long period of time. And I'm not saying that you always have to play a 4-4-2 with those exact players right. in that position, but it's just a matter of having that basis allows you to change it. But without a base, you have nothing to work off of. Yeah. Then it kind of becomes like a loose affair versus yeah. if you were to do it with the, the knowledge that you know referencing these numbers comes from, it allows you to just kind of get so much more in depth with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, which is why, honestly, I hate anything, any number above 23 on a squad. Just don't do it. Don't, uh, you will get cut off my soccer team. <laughs> pick, a, pick a number over 23. Pick your number, but be wary. And that's the other cut. thing is like, one thing that we didn't really mention is, is jersey sales. Massive, massive parts of the income of any club. Yeah. If you tell me that anybody over the number 20 is making tons of sales for your club, something's off. Yeah. You know or I mean? he's David Beckham. Or, or your David Beckham <laughs> fair. Yeah. But, like, anything that isn't 23 for David yeah. Beckham or up until, like, about maybe even, like. I say 23 because most squads are, like, 23 players. Deep. So, like, anything over that, I'm just like, come on. Right. Man. But generally, the most popular jerseys for any club yeah. are 1 through 11. Through 11, absolutely. And that is without, like, that's there's no argument for that. Like, yeah. that just is what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, like. That is such a big component of what makes every club successful is that amount of cash they can bring in by marketing their players that not only from a tactical standpoint is it relevant and, and important to have squad numbers, but it's also like from that marketing standpoint of being like, man, we have the world's best number seven. Like, Look at how Juve did with their sales of, of jerseys for Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay, yes, it's Cristiano Ronaldo, but it's also Cristiano Ronaldo seven. seven he is yeah. CR seven. Yeah. Yeah. Think of all the marketing behind Cristiano Ronaldo. CR7 like that's yeah. been his thing since he was at Manchester United yeah. that is 
three of the biggest clubs on the planet and his mark his, his brand is intact as cr7 yeah and branding makes a huge difference in soccer and, and you know that could be its own episode and i don't want to drag this one out any longer but it's just like squad numbers are are Essentially, my whole argument here is that squad numbers aren't just for show and for marketing. It's that it's actually relevant as well to the explanation and understanding of the sport. Squad numbers, more than just a number. <laughs> That's the tagline for this episode. Um, no, absolutely. I think that um, while being a nuanced thing, it's something that definitely should be highlighted more, um, especially in, at the younger levels. At the younger levels and just um, building a foundation for understanding the, the culture of the sport here in, in the U.S. For yeah, sure, for sure. And there you have it. Culture FC giving you good how do you do this week. What do you think of the episode? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? Give me some comments. Give me some feedback. We'll see you next episode. <laughs>